thanks, Rip, for for uh, for praying and just for standing in the gap for us. You know, the enemy is the number one form of propaganda of lies, right? And sometimes we think, maybe you think, that prayers don't mean much. But let me just tell you, they do. When you go before the Lord in prayer and obedience, like prayer, like Pastor Rip has led us into, and then taking the, a biblical perspective on it, I mean, that's powerful stuff. And whether or not you feel it or not is irrelevant, but it moves heaven. It moves heaven. So just have faith and have confidence and know that what's happening here is beyond our comprehension anyways. So God's doing a mighty work. So thank you for being faithful in prayer. Thank you. Glad to have you feeling better this week because last week wasn't so good. We, we missed you, but I'm glad you're better. You know, today, um, a couple of quick exam- announcements. Remember, we have in November 1st and November 8th, we have a special Wednesday night sessions here with uh, Ralph Rebant. And we're asking you all to be here. There's some announcements on the back table. Please take some if you haven't already. Pass them around. But uh, Ralph was a former candidate for governor here in Michigan. And uh, he has a really good message that he's sharing with churches uh, about how we become more engaged in our culture um, and not be afraid of politics. That's not a bad word, by the way. We think it is because we think church and politics don't match. But in all honesty, the whole thing of separation of church and state has been twisted around. When our founding fathers created a, this, com, the, this separation of church and state, it was really to protect the church from the state, not the state from the church. And they've twisted it around to try to keep pastors and people in the church quiet. And we need to step up and we need to stand up or our future generations are going to have a lot worse than we have it right now. So that's what we're talking about. That's part of what we're talking about. So be here. Please invite your friends for that. Uh, today, we're going to do something different. Um, I had planned on um, starting a new chapter, a new study on the book of Philippians. And you might think, well, why Philippians? Well, Philippians is a really good book. Um, it's a book of joy. It's a book of peace. And uh, and that's really timely right now. We need joy and we need peace now in our age more than ever. But as of Thursday afternoon, um, I, I, things changed. So what I'm going to do now is we're going to show a little video. It's about 25 minutes. It's by, by Dr. Mark Hitchcock. And um, here's the reality of it. We, it's just talking about Israel. Israel is at war. And we need to understand why Israel is at war. What's going on over in the Middle East right now? There's a lot of propaganda, even amongst Americans. It's surprising our universities, our places of higher learning, are totally missing it all. I mean, they're pro-Palestinian, and they're trying to make Israel the terrorist state. And if we don't understand what's going on, we can get sucked into that. Now, I'm not saying you are, but our country can, and we need to understand what's going on. So Mark Hitchcock is a uh, studier of end times, an eschatology um, professor, uh, just really a, a good, a good learned man. And uh, he gives us a really good explanation of Hamas, Israel, um, who owns what. And um, I think as we go through this, I think we're going to see that we're going to understand why we need to pray for the peace of Israel. Why? What's our purpose in it? What's our calling in it? So we're going to listen to this, and then I'll have a few more things to speak after, after that. So let's listen to Dr. Mark Hitchcock. Welcome to Marking the End Times. I'm Mark Hitchcock, and it's, it's always, as always, it's great to have you with us. And I think it's especially important uh, in these times in which we, we find ourselves right now. I want to bring uh, today a very important update on what's happening in Israel. And we've been bringing several of these to you, and I hope that they're, they're benefiting you greatly and, and giving you uh, a great encouragement, uh, but also helping you understand what's happening over there in the Middle East and, and, and allowing you to be able to share this with those around you. Maybe you're confused about it. This is a a great open door of opportunity for us uh, to share the gospel and the hope of Jesus Christ with people around us who don't have it. So I want to bring this important update. And what I want to do is fill in some critical background to kind of paint in some of the backdrop of what's happening over there that goes way, way back centuries and even millennia. 
and set the record straight about some key issues. I think we'll, we'll help you greatly in understanding what's happening there today and where this is going to ultimately lead in the future. So I want to talk about you. Who are the Palestinians or where do they come from? Um, who is Hamas? Uh, what are the real origins of this conflict and where is this all ultimately headed? So we're going to answer some of those key questions uh, today. But before we uh, before we get into that, let me just mention that in a bit, uh, we'll go to our subscriber-only section. I'm going to answer some questions um, related to what's going on right now. One of the questions is, you know, is the Gaza Strip, is it really part of Israel? Um, will this... Uh, What's happening over there right now, this war between Israel and Hamas, will this delay uh, Saudi Arabia from signing a treaty uh, with Israel? Uh, will this treaty that Israel signs with Saudi Arabia, could that be part of the ultimate peace treaty that the Antichrist makes with Israel? And does that have to happen before the Lord can come back? And then another question that's uh, very important related to the timing of the rapture, and that is, you know, has, has the teaching of the rapture only been around for 230 years of this pre-tribulation rapture? That's a false argument that's often used, and I'll talk about that. And uh, so those are some great questions that I, that I want to answer here in, in a bit when we get to the subscriber-only section. But let me begin today's program by saying this. I stand by Israel and the Jewish people, and you should too. And I know that most of you who are watching do. That's why you're, you're a member here of endtimes.com, a subscriber. But in case there's some who watch this who, who, who are not standing with Israel and supporting the Jewish people, I hope that when we get finished with this program, you'll have a lot to think about. And, and the idea, holding to the idea that Israel has the right to fight and defend themselves against these uh, uh, just unspeakable atrocities that have been uh, perpetrated against them. You know, you and I should support Israel. We should support the Jewish people, not because of politics, but because of prophecy, because of what God's word, what the Bible has to say about the land of Israel. Did you know that Israel is mentioned over 2000 times in the Old Testament? Israel is mentioned over 70 times in the New Testament. And the Old Testament tells us that Israel was chosen by God. Abraham was chosen Isaac, Jacob, and their descendants to be God's representative to the nations. They're God's chosen people. They're a chosen vessel and an instrument to represent God uh, to the nations of this world. So this current crisis that we see goes all the way back to Abraham. God chose Abraham out of all the nations of the earth. God made a covenant with him. He made an unconditional covenant. We call this a land grant he gave Abraham and his descendants through Abraham, through Isaac and Jacob, the title deed to a land that he gives the borders of back in Genesis uh, chapter 15. And here's a very important point I want to make, and that is the Jewish people, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they have the ownership of the land of Israel. Now, they've not always occupied the land. In fact, there's been times God put them out of the land and disciplined them. But even though they haven't perpetually occupied the land, they've always had ownership of the land. And they have ownership of the land because of an inalienable, eternal promise that God gave to Abraham and to uh, his descendants. This is the only land in the Bible that's ever given to a specific group of people. Again, to the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The title deed to the land. The Palestinians have no biblical right to the land. Now, they may make political arguments about why they should be there, or they may make uh, historical arguments, but they have no biblical right uh, to the land. The title deed has been given uh, to the people of Israel. And it's, it's, a, it's a question of who owns the land. They do. It's been given to them by God. And that's one of the reasons we support Israel in their right to the land, because in Genesis 12, God made a statement there that's never been revoked. And he said, whoever blesses you, that is Abraham and his descendants, I will bless. But then he says, the one who curses you, I must curse. And God's never revoked that promise. And it's something that you and I need to remember uh, today and what's happening there. Now, the trouble that we see there today goes all the way back 4,000 years to Abraham and his two sons, Isaac and Ishmael. But Jewish people believe, the Bible teaches, we believe that when Abraham went up on Mount Moriah to offer Isaac, God stays his hand and God gives promises to Isaac and then to his son Jacob. 
Now, in a, in a terrible case of revisionism, historical revisionism, Islam comes along and says, no, it was Ishmael that, that Abraham took up to Mount Moriah. Now, think about this. Moses wrote the, 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 the Torah, the book of Genesis, in 1400 B.C. Muhammad comes along 2,000 years later in, in 600 A.D. and says, no, it wasn't Isaac. Um, it was Ishmael. 2,000 years uh, after the fact. And so you have the origin of the conflict back there between the descendants of Isaac, the Jewish people, and the descendants of Ishmael, the, the, the Arab people. And since then, there's been ongoing hostility. Now, fast forward a long time to 135 A.D. Remember the Jewish people were scattered from their land by um, their, their temple destroyed and Jerusalem destroyed in 70 A.D. by the Romans. So they're scattered all over the earth. But in 135 A.D., there were still some Jews in Israel, and they had a rebellion. And the, the Roman emperor Hadrian put that rebellion down, and he renamed Israel Palestina, Palestine, after the word for the Philistines. So he wanted to kind of eradicate all memory of the Jewish people being in Israel. So from that time on, it was known as Palestine, even though in the Bible it's called Israel. Now, fast forward again a long time later to 1947. In 1947, there was a United Nations partition of the land that then was called Palestine. And, you know, we hear a lot today about we need a two-state solution. You know, a land for the, the Palestinians and a land for, for Israel, for the Jewish people. There was a two-state solution back in 1947. The land was partitioned between the people who lived in that land of Palestine and the Jews who came back to, to their land out of the ashes of the Holocaust. And here's what's important to remember. The Jews accepted this partition plan, and the Arabs rejected it. And the reason they rejected it, and here's a very important statement, is the issue at hand for, uh, for the Arabs is not the size of Israel, but Israel's very existence. You can't shrink Israel down small enough for them to accept it. It's not the size of Israel, it's the very existence of Israel uh, that they oppose. And so Israel, the Jewish people, come back to their land in 1948 in the fulfillment of Bible prophecy. Passages like Ezekiel chapter 37. And the Arabs, the Arab nations possess more than 300 times the land that Israel possesses. They have 40 times the population of Israel. Yet they do not recognize Israel's right to exist as a nation in that tiny piece of land that God has given to them. Some of the research I did, let me read you a few quotes here. Here's what one writer says. He says, Jews were unhappy because the land they were given, this is talking about in 1947, did not include Jerusalem. Listen to this, where Jews composed the largest religious population since the middle of the 19th century. More Jews in, in, in Jerusalem from the middle of the, of the 1800s forward. They constituted an absolute majority in the city from the end of the 19th century. 60% of the Jewish state was in the Negev, an arid desert then thought to be useless. Yet the Jews accepted the United Nations partition plan in 1947. The Arabs did not. Although they were unhappy with the partition, Jews did not rob land from poor Arab peasants, as many of today's critics suggest. You know, what people say today all the time is, well, the Jews came in in 1948. It was a, a case of land theft. They stole all this land from the people who lived there. Listen to this. By 1948, Britain, they allotted 187,500 acres of cultivable land to Arabs and 4,250 acres to Jews. 187,000 acres to 4,200 acres of land that could be cultivated. So what happened over time is the Jews bought land from Arabs. They purchased land at, at an exorbitant price back then of $1,000 an acre. Now listen to this. This is fascinating. In his memoir, King Abdullah of Jordan said that the story of Jewish displacement of Arabs from their land was a fiction. This is a Jordanian king. says that the idea that Jews came in and displaced Arabs from their land is a fiction. What happened is in 1948 when the war broke out, Arabs fled the land. Um, Arab governments were reporting allegations of all kind of Jewish massacres, and so which were untrue. Which, which scared the, the Arabs. They thought this would give them the backbone to stay and fight, but and, and, uh, uh, the opposite happened, that thousands of them fled. And so 
what happened is when, the, when they flee the, the, the land, that they give up their land. And so the Jews didn't come dispossess and run them out of the land. They fled, and Jews bought most of that land at exorbitant prices. So Palestinians today are the descendants of the waves of invaders who settled in Israel throughout the, the centuries. They try to say that they're descendants of the ancient Canaanites, you know, who, who were there before the Jews got there. That's not true. But even if it were true, God put the Canaanites out of the land and gave it to the Jewish people. So they're wrong on either account. Here's another important fact. 20% of Israel's population today are Palestinian Arabs. One out of five people in Israel that vote and can hold office in the land of Israel. So the issue, again, it's not the size of Israel that they object to. It's Israel's existence. Hamas is is an Islamic Palestinian militant terrorist group founded in 1987 from the from the Muslim Brotherhood. They took power of Gaza in 2006. The word uh, the word Hamas means zeal or strength. But they they rule in that Gaza strip down on the southwest coast of Israel. It's about 25 miles long and 6 miles wide. But they're sworn to destroy Israel and replace it with an Islamic state. So all of this goes far beyond Palestinians and Islam and Hamas. There's never going to be a political solution to this religious problem. It's only going to be solved when the Messiah returns, the Lord Jesus. The ultimate source of this is satanic, because Satan hates what God loves. And God loves uh, the Jewish people. And we love what God loves. Think about this. The Bible's from the Jews. Our Savior is Jewish. And our Savior doesn't ask us to die for him to go to heaven. He came and died for us. That's our Savior, the Lord Jesus. So I hope this helps fit in, fill in kind of some of the, the necessary background about a lot of, of myths and a lot of misconceptions uh, that are being being taught today. Well, let me just say a final word about, about how this is setting the stage. Um, what's coming in the future for Israel is a peace agreement. It's going to be a temporary one. It's going to be a counterfeit peace. The Antichrist will broker. But you can imagine in the wake of all this, people are going to be clamoring for a, a, a permanent peace there. Israel, at some point in time, I think we'll get a peace with this, with Saudi Arabia. Uh, there's going to be this, this, this peace agreement that will come. This is setting the stage for that Antichrist agreement that's going to bring peace to the Middle East. It's also setting the stage for the War of Ezekiel 38. Um, Iran has their fingerprints all over this. They're mentioned in Ezekiel 38. Russia, I mean, this whole invasion was a, was a gift of, of Hamas into Israel was a gift of Vladimir Putin to take the focus off his war in Ukraine. Turkey's uh, president, Erdogan, his response, he said this, we're against the killing of civilians in Israel. But then listen to what he says next. But we also oppose the massacre of defenseless innocents in Gaza. He just calls them civilians in Israel killed, but he calls it a massacre of defenseless innocents. No, it was a massacre of defenseless innocents in Israel. But it shows where his uh, true affections lie. And, and Turkey and Iran and Russia are the three key players in the Ezekiel 38-39 uh, invasion. Well, there's a lot more we can say. and We'll be bringing some more videos to you uh, uh, quickly to uh, to um, uh, kind of uh, keep you updated as this situation uh, quickly develops. But I hope you'll share uh, this video and and others um, that that you're seeing that that Jimmy Evans is doing as well with friends and and get get the word out. I think this will help clear up a lot of misconceptions uh, that people have. Well, again, thank you so much for being with us. So we're going to go now to the uh, subscriber-only section where I'm going to answer some of those questions about the Saudi treaty, um, about uh, the rapture being a recent invention, and uh, we'll answer those questions now as we go into that time. Well, several of our questions are related to what's happening over right now uh, in Israel. We'll, we'll get to a few of those, but, but the first question and the last question I have here really aren't related to that uh, specifically, but uh, this is from Nanette. It says, um, thank you for the update, but I have to admit this is all above my head. I'm not educated on this matter. I'm a believer for many years, but never studied this. I, I have ordered uh, the book Tipping Point. I'll get it Wednesday. My question is, can you give me advice on how to learn about the cities and where they are? Uh, what countries and cities are for Israel, plus any things you think that would be helpful. Uh, thank you for your time. Well, Nanette, let me just say this. You know, there, there's always, you know, it's never too late to start uh, to begin to learn these things. So I'm so glad uh, that you know the Lord and that you're you're working to educate yourself about these matters. And, you know, being a, a subscriber here at endtimes.com, 
Com, getting a book like Tipping Point, that's a great place to start. You know, if you're if you're wanting to know more about just kind of the geography of Israel and where cities are, you can get a good uh, Bible encyclopedia. Uh, there's several of those that are out there. A good Bible dictionary. I'm sure, there are a lot of online sources. You can just go and you know look at the land of Israel, pull up a map, and study that map a bit, and you can see where Gaza is and Jerusalem and you know, where the the areas down in the Negev are, where the nation of Jordan is, uh, where Syria, Lebanon, Egypt. You can kind of just see the the uh, the whole uh, Middle East there, and then where where these countries are. Um, I have a book that I wrote several years ago called The End. It's about a 500 page uh, book, a pretty thick book, uh, but it, but I, it's very easy to read. That's what everyone tells me. It's a very readable, simple book, and uh, that's a good book to just give you an overview of Bible prophecy. It begins with you know what is prophecy, how do we study Bible prophecy, um, what are the the methods of interpretation of Bible prophecy, and then we start in with really the rapture and go all the way to the new heaven and new earth, just kind of going through all the main events. So those are some sources to help you, but so glad you're excited about this and wanting to learn. That, that's great, and I, hope, uh, I know many of the other uh, folks who are subscribers are feel the same way. Um, here's a second question by Robin. Uh, please forgive my bad, but I thought the Gaza Strip was part of Israel. Can you explain, including the history of Gaza, who lives there now? Uh, thank you, and God bless you, and God bless Israel. Well, you know, way back, um, obviously, uh, when God uh, gave the land to the children of Israel, Gaza is part of Israel. Um, it's part of the inheritance that God gave to Israel that we talked about during the program, about the covenant God made w- with Abraham. The uh, the area of where Gaza is today, though, when, when the Jewish people lived in their land years ago, that was an area where the Philistines inhabited. They inhabited a lot of that, that coastal plain, but it's still part of Israel. Now, in modern times, again, going back to, our, to the program, in 1947, when the partition was made for a land for Israel, a land uh, for the Arabs, uh, Gaza, that Gaza Strip, and the Gaza Strip's 25 miles long. It's about six miles wide. Uh, that was given as part of uh, the land to go to uh, to the Palestinians. But it's part of Israel. I mean, it's part of the land of Israel. The West Bank is Israel. All of that is Israel. But in the current um, in the current configuration, there, Gaza and that West Bank are land that have been given to the Palestinians. But it, but it's it, it's it's Israel's land. And of course, uh, you know, Gaza today is. is controlled by by Hamas, this militant uh, terrorist group. And so I agree with you here at the end. You say thank you and God bless. God bless Israel. Certainly we we do know that God's blessing is upon them. Uh, number three, a third question here by uh, by Susan. She says, thank you, Mark. I'm wondering if this will delay the Saudis from signing a treaty as soon as we thought. Well, I think, unfortunately, that's true. Um, Saudi Arabia has come out in favor of the Palestinians, but you know that they have to do that. Many believe that this may be because you know the, the king is still alive. Um, his his son, the Crown Prince uh, Mohammed bin Salman, known as MBS, he seems to be much more progressive. But he's come out and condemned Israel and supports uh, the Palestinians. But that may be in deference more to his father. So we'll kind of have to wait and see. I know that the United States, from what I've read, is still working on. On brokering this deal. You know, the U.S. is kind of the go-between here or the broker of this peace agreement. And the U.S. is still working on that. But I would see, uh, I couldn't see in the middle of this conflict how, how that could, could be signed. And, and that was one of, I believe, Iran's goals in sicking and kind of unleashing Hamas on Israel. Because they, they realized that Israel was getting close to this treaty and this normalization of relations with Saudi Arabia, and they wanted to torpedo this and to derail it. Uh, because uh, that's the last thing Iran wants. You know, they, they hate Israel. I mean, they're, they're their worst enemy. And they've at least, I think, temporarily succeeded uh, in that, in their, their derailing of this, uh, this uh, peace agreement. But I think probably sometime in the future when things die down there and Israel has eradicated this threat from Hamas, probably this will get back on track uh, again at some point in time. Um, a fourth question here from Kathy. She said, uh, Pastor Mark, do the people of Israel look for or see things with a biblical worldview in regards to prophecy of the end times? As Christians, we wait the rapture and the return of Jesus, but they are still waiting for the coming of the Messiah, correct? I'm just wondering how they see the end times. Well, that's correct. And we, we believe that when, when Jesus returns, comes back to the earth, he's coming back a second time. 
Uh, they're still waiting for uh, their Messiah to come, and they believe that he's going to come, and he's going to set up his kingdom on the earth, the, the messianic kingdom. He's going to come and deliver them from their enemies and set up a kingdom. Uh, they believe that there will be a temple up on that temple mount, but many of the Orthodox Jews believe they need to wait for Messiah to come in order to to rebuild that temple. It's, it's going to be his temple. But they do hold to a view of the end times of a coming Messiah, a coming kingdom, uh, when Jesus is going to rule and reign, or, or when uh, their Messiah is going to rule and reign over the earth. And of course, we know uh, who that Messiah is. He's uh, the Lord Jesus. Um, another question is, uh, with Israel taking uh, talking peace treaty with Saudi Arabia, is that the treaty, do you think, uh, they talk about a peace treaty that has to be signed before the coming of the Lord? Um, I, no, I don't believe that. What I, what I would see is kind of as the chronology of events that are that are coming. The next the next great event, prophetic event on God's calendar, is the rapture of the church. It's an event that can happen at any moment in time, and sometime after the rapture takes place. See, the rapture doesn't start the seven year tribulation. Uh, the rapture will end this church age. But sometime after the rapture takes place, the Antichrist will come on the world scene and he's going to broker or forge this peace agreement with the nation of Israel. And so that's the event that starts the seven-year tribulation. So any kind of treaty that, that Israel has with Saudi Arabia or even the treaty that the Antichrist ultimately makes with Israel, those will be after the rapture. So they don't have to be signed before the coming of the Lord. They'll be signed after that period of time. But I do believe that these Abraham Accords that Israel uh, uh, signed with uh, with Bahrain and the United Arab Emirates and Morocco and Sudan uh, back in 2020, um, I believe those are, are, are very significant. And Saudi Arabia, obviously, that would be uh, uh, the, the main nation that, that Israel, if they have peace with them, would be a, a huge, huge boon for Israel. Of course, you already have as well. You have um, Egypt back in 1979 has a peace treaty with Israel and Jordan in 1994. So all of these are kind of uh, precursors or foreshadows of that treaty that the Antichrist will make with Israel. And, and I think the, the Saudi Arabian treaty will be very significant in relation to that as well. But it doesn't have to happen. None of that does before the rapture. That'll happen after the rapture takes place. That treaty between Antichrist and Israel, that seven-year covenant, that will, will be that seven-year tribulation that the Antichrist then will break um, at the midpoint, at the three-and-a-half-year point, according to, to Daniel 9.27. Well, one final question here is, uh, this is from Julie. And she asks, uh, thank you for this uh, thorough update. I have a question. I've always believed in the rapture since I was saved in the 70s. Uh, Recently, two of my friends who are strong believers have said that the teaching of the rapture has only been around for 230 years. They said the early church had no concept of this. How do I respond to these friends? Thanks, Julie. Julie, great question. I call this argument the worst argument against the pre-trib rapture. And and a, a while back, several months ago, I did an article that maybe you can find on the archives here at endtimes.com. And the article, that was the title of it, The Worst Argument Against the Pre-trib Rapture. And that is the argument that the pre-trib rapture is a recent invention. Uh, the argument goes that the pre-trib rapture was invented by John Nelson Darby. He was an Irish brethren pastor, lived in England, that he invented this around 1830, and that it's kind of caught on, but you know it wasn't believed by anyone uh, before that period of time. Now, the reason I say that's the worst argument against the pre-trib rapture is because that argument is demonstrably false, and we can prove historically that that's not true. But you think about this, even if it were true, you know, really the doctrine of justification by faith alone was not really widely spread in the church until uh, the, the, the 15 and 1600s through the Protestant Reformation. So just because something kind of surfaces back, it comes back to the surface later on, doesn't mean it wasn't held uh, to at an earlier time. But let me just give you a, a few thoughts about this. There are dozens and dozens of pre-trib rapture statements before 1830. Um, again, not, well, I'm not trying to, to sell my own books, but I just want to mention this. Ed Heinsohn and I wrote a book several years ago called Can We Still Believe in the Rapture? We have an entire chapter in the book just citing one after another these pre-trib rapture statements. Some of them go all the way back to the 4th century A.D., uh, we know that Irenaeus in the early church, he held that Christ could come back at any moment. Well, that's consistent with the pre-trib rapture. 
The only pre-trib rapture believes Jesus can come at any moment. If it's at the middle of the tribulation or the end of the tribulation, it can't happen at any time. So the, the, the idea of an imminent, any moment return of Jesus that's consistent with pre-trib rapture was held in the early church. But we have a lot of statements from the 16 and 1700s where it refers to Jesus coming and people being left behind to go through this time of tribulation. So it was not invented by Jay and Darby in the 1830s. He's simply building on what others had believed. And of course, the fact that the rapture does go back before Jay and Darby doesn't prove that it's true, but it does prove that it's not a recent invention. So don't let people use that argument against you. It's an argument that is just, it's historically inaccurate. It's just it's a false or a wrong argument, but it's still around and people uh, continue to use it just because they're ignorant of all these uh, pre-trib rapture statements that predate Darby by some of them by centuries. Well, as always, thank you again so much for sending in these great questions, and thank you for joining us. Uh, thank you for being a subscriber. These are important times in which we live, and we need to be uh, uh, arming ourselves with the truth um, in these times. And uh, I think here at endtimes.com, hopefully this information you're receiving is, is energizing you uh, spiritually and bringing you great encouragement. Well, God bless you. We'll look forward to seeing you next time. Okay, I hope that was helpful. Hope you understood what was what he was saying and um, clearly bring in it to some good historical facts to bear. Uh, Jerry, or Larry, would you throw up my PowerPoint, please? I, I want to um, talk a little bit more about this because um, he talks about a good argument about why we can expect the imminent return of Christ as the next big event happening. Um, do you remember back, oh gosh, it's been... A couple months ago, we we were talking. We've been talking about the end times here for a long time, as you, for people that are following here. But um, we talked about a seed war. Do you remember what the seed war was? We talked about a few a few weeks ago. The seed war. It actually is a battle that was determined back in Genesis, back the first time God had to judge man and Satan, determine the players of the ongoing battle that would be forevermore until Jesus comes again. And that is the battle between the seed of the woman and the seed of Satan. Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So this goes back to even the statements that he made about um, where this battle comes from. The battle is between Satan and Christ going back to the Garden of Eden. So this is not a new battle. And so when they say that they, the, the Palestinians really want a two-state solution, as Dr. Hitch, Hitchcock said, no, they don't want a two-state solution. They want to wipe Israel off the face of the planet. It's not a matter of how much land they have. It's the matter that they exist at all. This is the battle that was started back in Genesis. The seed war has continued on forever and ever. You see, because Satan knew that the battle that he would have with God would be final and complete unless he could somehow kill the woman before the seed was conceived and birthed. So his battle has to, has been to destroy humanity, destroy God's seed that would be in humanity from the very beginning because that's the only way that he could avoid his final punishment. That's why Satan has been trying to destroy the Jews and wipe them off the earth forever. I mean, think about the time prior to Noah's flood. Back in the time of the Nephilim, when the fallen angels were mating with human women, and they were creating an unholy humanity that was cursed because it was combining the demonic seed with human seed, and it was destroying the perfect lineage of humanity. That's why Noah was said he was perfect in his generations. It wasn't he was a perfect man. He wasn't perfect and he was sinless. Is that his seed, his lineage was not contaminated 
by the Nephilim or by the fallen angels. Okay, so again, Satan was trying to destroy humanity then. Think about Pharaoh killing all the baby boys in Egypt when Moses was placed in 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 the in the um, in the reed in the basket. Right again. Satan, through Pharaoh, through King Herod at the time when Jesus was born, King Herod says, kill all the baby boys under two years old in the Bethlehem in the area. Why? Because Satan has been trying to destroy the seed from all time. He's trying to destroy the Jews. And then after Jesus was born, Satan still was trying to deceive he tried to deceive Jesus. He, he tempted Jesus in, in the wilderness, trying to get Jesus to bow down to him, trying to get him to give up his earthly kingdom the way that Jesus owns it. And then Satan couldn't do that, so then he deceived the Jewish leaders into killing Jesus, the Jewish Pharisees into, into killing him, thinking that if he could kill Jesus, he could kill the seed, right? Again, but Jesus rose, rose from the dead, and he turned the tables upside down on Satan. But that didn't stop Satan. Satan wasn't done yet. He was still trying to do everything he could to to maintain his ability to not have to go to be eternally punished. Because that's why, actually, um, Satan realized that now that he's failed, Jesus is now alive again. His whole plan now is to try to um, prevent the second coming of Christ. And if he could destroy the nation of Israel yet, he could keep the second of coming of Christ happening because that is the thing. When the, when the Jews accept Christ as the Messiah in the tribulation, that is the thing that saves Israel. And then Jesus comes back again in the second coming. And when Jesus comes in the second coming, what happens? Well, obviously Israel saved and we then, uh, the, well, the church has already been taken out in the tribulation for seven years prior to that. But then Satan is cast into the lake of, or cast into the abyss for a thousand years. And he's kept in the millennial, not able to um, tempt mankind again until he's finally released. And then he has one more go around at it um, with that rebellion at the end of the millennial reign. And then finally after that, he's judged and he's, uh, condemned to the lake of fire for eternity, for eternity. So Satan knows that that's his eternal plight, but he's trying to do everything he can to destroy Israel because if he can destroy Israel, he still believes he can avoid that final punishment. Does that make sense? I mean, I know it's a big, it's a big picture. It's a big deal, but Satan is that, is that evil and he's that deceived. That's why what they're doing, this war that's happening there, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, they are just evil, destroying people, killing babies, and just doing evil things that have nothing to do with a war that's trying to gain land. It's just to destroy people. So Satan, until until Jesus comes back, Satan is doing everything he can to destroy Israel. So that's that's the key. That's the battle. That's the battle of the seed war. And that's the key. That's the thing. That's why we can't make sense of this war because it doesn't make sense. It's just 100% evil. And we need to understand why it is. Something else I want to bring out. This is, um, I think it's important for us to get a picture of the size of Israel compared to the world. Okay? This is Israel. Maybe we don't know. I, I didn't. I learned a lot here. But this is Israel. Okay? And this is Gaza. It's six miles wide and about 25 miles long. This is the West Bank, okay? This is also occupied by Palestinians, occupied by Palestinians, even though it's all of Israel, all right? So you can see how small this little strip is, right? Does that... But now I'm going to take another picture here and blow this one up a little bit further, okay? Now, here's Israel again. Here's the Gaza Strip. Look at the size of Saudi Arabia. Look at Iraq, look at Iran, Syria, Turkey, Lebanon, Turkey's up here, Egypt. See how small Israel is? Let's go one more out. All right, another picture of the, the region over there. Here's Israel. Here's Turkey. I, look how big Iran is compared to Israel. Syria, Saudi Arabia, Egypt. Gaza Strip is right there. There's Israel. 
Russia. I mean, do you do we comprehend? Really, what I'm trying to say is, do we understand how small Israel is? But yet, they're in the news all the time. Have you thought about that? It's amazing when you think how small they are, but yet how big they are in our political world. Now let's look at some more of the facts. Here's some interesting things. The world population right now is about 8 billion people, right? The Jews, there's about 16.1 million in the world, around the world. That's 0.8% of the population. And of that, about 51 of, of, of 51% of the 16.1 million are in U.S. Israel, 30%. France, Canada, Russia, about 3 to 2%. And then the rest of the Germany, Ukraine, Brazil, the makeup, the other 3% spread around the world. So Israel, the Jewish population is very small. Now let's look at it according to the Muslim world. Again, population 8 billion. There's about 2 billion Muslims. 25% of the world's population is Muslim. And the majority of them are in Pakistan, Indiana, er, Indiana, India, Nigeria, Egypt, Iran, Turkey, and so forth. Okay, so now let's look at that. Now let's look at what is the world population. Again, 8 billion Christians make up about 2.7 billion. And this is, when I say Christians, this is all forms of Christianity, Protestant, Catholic, all forms of Christianity, or about 33% of the world's population is Christian. And then that's where they're broken up in the different countries around the world. So again, how small Israel is and how few there are. 16 million Jews. Think about that. Versus 2 billion Muslims. And yet God protects Israel. And Israel still wins at the end. Think of that. I mean, Israel is an amazing country in how God has protected them over the centuries. You know, I want to talk to you a little bit more about the prophecy of Jesus coming back, the rapture, and how, you know, it's not just a 250-year-old or so um, belief. But the Bible teaches that the early church anticipated Jesus returning in their lifetime. This is not a new thing. I think it even goes back further than what Dr. Hitchcock was saying because Paul taught about the second coming of Christ, the rapture of the church in First and Second Thessalonians and Corinthians. In fact, Paul talked about it so much that he had to clarify some things that were happening in in First Corinthians that he he wrote about because he was prophesying was teaching the fact that there was going to be a pre-trib rapture or a rapture of the church and the people of the day were expecting it to happen in the life of the early church. So this is not a new a new teaching. Let's read some passages here. Uh, passages First Thessalonians chapter four, beginning at verse thirteen. Paul says, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive and who are left until the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So Paul made a very solid teaching to the to those in Thessalonians, uh, of the Thessalonica church, that Jesus was going to return in the rapture. But there was also some false teaching that was happening. Because there was a false teacher that was coming in, some false teaching coming into the church and saying that, hey, Jesus has already returned and you missed it. So already there was false teaching that the rapture had already happened and the church in Thessalonica missed the rapture. And so Paul had to come back to them in Second Thessalonians now and correct the teaching of the false teacher. So this is 
2 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. And he says, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, he's talking about the rapture, and are being together together and, and are being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching allegedly from us, whether by a prophecy or by the word of mouth or by letter, asserting that the day of the Lord has already come. So there's false teaching that's saying that Jesus has already returned in the early church. Paul says in verse 2, Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed and the man doomed to desert, to destruction. And then he goes on to, con- to continue in that teaching, which we don't have time to do right now. So with this update, how do we live? With this information, how do we take this and how do we live through it? Because this can be alarming to people. I understand how this can be alarming to people if you're not solid with Christ. But let me just share with you that we are to live with joy and anticipation for all that's happening. There is no need to be fearful. God has everything under control. He knows exactly what's going on around the world. He knows exactly what's going on with Hamas, with Hezbollah. With Iran, he knows everything. He's allowing it to happen because his plan has to unfold. We are to keep busy. We're to occupy till he comes. We're not to be afraid, but we are to pray for the peace of Israel. And we are to pray for all those that are innocent victims in Israel. Those 16 million Jews, and only only 30% of them are in Israel. Think of that. Only 30% of the 16 million are, are in Israel. But we're to st- we're to stand for them. We're to pray for them. We're to we're to do our part in being the church that represents Israel into this world of two billion Muslims and one point two point seven billion Christians, which are hardly Christians, probably when you think about it. So I hope this helps. I hope this helps us grasp a better idea about the about the seriousness of what's happening right now. We are living in that time that may be the precursor of the Ezekiel 38 war, which is the Gog-Magog war, which is the one that will happen either prior to the rapture or just after the rapture. And then can you imagine, too, about all this unrest, how that when the rapture happens and, 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 and there will be a clamoring for peace. So we can see how the Antichrist is going to be primed to come in and to bring a peace agreement, a peace accord, and people are just going to be, they're going to be hook, line, and sinker and ready for it. I mean, we can just see all this happening. So the way I want to end today is the way Paul did. First Thessalonians chapter 418. Encourage each other with these words. Look up, our redemption draweth nigh. That's what he says. First Thessalonians chapter 4. Then also it says in chapter 5, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you're doing. So this is not a time to be distract, to be distraught. This is not a time to be upset. This is a time to have peace and joy and let the Lord Jesus just show forth in you like the light that Pastor Up was talking about earlier today. We are the light of the world. And when we show light and when we show peace and when we're not upset by the clamoring of what's going on, people say, what do you have? I want what you have. We're not to run around wringing our hands and buying into the political fear that's going on. So stand your ground. Be confident that God has this under control. Amen? Jackie, would you come, please? Yeah, I just um, I just see too many people running around thinking that God has lost control and that, you know, we're just to, uh, you know, be a prepper. Go go buy your guns and buy your food because we have to hunker down. Hey, things are going to get tough. I get that. And I'm not against having food or guns. I'm not. But that's not our solution, right? It's smart to have it because who knows when we're going to have a big storm and we're going to need food. I mean, I'm not, a, I'm not opposed to that at all. But that's not our salvation. Our salvation doesn't come in saving America. Our salvation comes in saving people that are in America that we're doing our job to spread the gospel and to win others for Christ as much as we can because the time is short. I really believe the time is short. I believe that this is just ramping things up. And I'm 
fully anticipating Jesus coming back any day. And I live with that as a hope, not a fear, but a hope. Stand with me, if you will. Let's sing the song that Jackie and Tom are playing as a form of worship before we go home today. that's our prayer Lord that you would breathe on us that we would be influenced not only influenced that we would be anointed by the power of the Holy Spirit to be effective and be effectual in this dark world God that we really would bring light and that people would be drawn to the light of Jesus in our life in our lives that they would look to us and say boy I want what you have I don't want your guns I don't want your food I want the Holy Spirit I want Jesus And I pray, God, that we would be evident in that, that we would be bold with our witness. Help us not to be afraid. Help us not to shrink back. But help us to be bold for our stance today. And I pray, God, that you would just be with us. Protect us, God. Put a wall of protection around our families. God, I pray for the peace of Jerusalem right now. I pray for Israel. God, I pray for those people. Lord, the families there that have been distraught, that have been torn apart. God, I can't imagine babies being ripped from the from the arms of mothers and, and beheading and the, that, that orphanage or that, that uh, nursery place, whatever that was, and people. And God, the, the way Satan has just been evil in his destruction of people. And I pray, God, for our government. I pray for our leaders. I pray that we would understand the, what we need to do, Father, as a government that we would support Israel. Oh, God, I pray, Father, for our leadership today. I pray for our president. I pray for our leaders. God, I pray that you would just do a mighty work in the churches here as well, and the churches in Israel today. God, the messianic believers. God, just be be about them and be just protect them. God, I pray that you would just be be glorious. And come quickly, Lord Jesus, and help us to be ready. Help us to be prepared. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said with me, amen. Amen. Be blessed today. Amen.